0: Counselors, approach the bench. I have no further witnesses,
1: Your Honor.
2: Curiosity. I'm allowing this freak show to continue.
1: Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. Overruled. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God?
2: Welcome to Movie Mistrial. The podcast where we examine the IMDb top 250, and I give for or against the movies being on the list. My name is Johannes And my name is Raji
0: And today we have
2: a guest
1: Hi everybody, I am uh, Derek McDuff How are you doing, Derek? I'm doing well, thank you Tell us a little bit about yourself Yeah, so I am a uh, writer and uh, um, a podcaster as well So I have my own podcast, Underrated Which is um, kind of the opposite of the show Where um, we took a look at movies that are kind of underrated And make arguments for why uh, you should like them And they should be considered um, in the kind of film canon but, yeah, so, you know, I've been kind of in the, the film, uh, been in film uh, buff for quite some time. Um, you know, I do some freelance stuff with that. Um, but, yeah. Great. Sounds great. Uh, sounds like you're the perfect match for the show then. Yeah. I, as soon as I saw you guys, your show, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm down. I want to be a part of this. Excellent. Excellent. Raji, what are we talking about today?
2: Um, we're going to be talking about The Return of the King. Return of the King.
0: Released on December 17th, 2003, starring Elijah Wood, Viggo Mortensen,
2: and Cate Blanchett. The culmination of the Lord of the Rings trilogy.
0: Uh, yes, and we'll talk about the theatrical cut for this one.
2: And we'll have a guest to do it with us today.
0: Correct. Either Roger or I will take a seat back and let the other cross-examine the movie with Derek.
2: Derek, are you ready to toss the
1: coin? Yes, yes. Am I flipping it? Are you guys flipping it? I'll... I'll show it to you so I'll call I'll call heads
2: <laughs> my favorite
1: <laughs> oh here we go all
0: right let's go ah, okay then let's start who, who do you want to battle against
1: um well I'll, I'll go against you why not you're the one who's been communicating with me I guess, through all this so let's let's uh and then uh, Roger, you can be the, the judge I guess
0: uh all yeah right.
2: I'll, I'll be the moderator
0: all right Sounds good. So, Tails, I get to decide. Um, I'll argue against this movie.
2: Okay, good.
1: (laughs) I was in my head. I was like, okay, I've got it. If I I have to, I'll come up with some stuff about arguing against it, but it's not going to be in earnest, so I'm glad that that's your decision. So, okay, cool.
2: (laughs) It's definitely a very hard film to argue against uh, for the most part. Is Um, it,
0: though?
2: (laughs) Oh, now I'm curious about what you have to say. Uh, I I I'm I'm really curious. I know a couple of things that I would have said if I had to argue against it, but today I'm the moderator and I'll probably bring it up in the general discussion. So let's see how the conversation goes.
0: Yeah, let's do that. But before before we go there, let's uh, have a synopsis the culmination of nearly 10 years' work. In conclusion to Peter Jackson's epic trilogy based on the timeless J.R.R. Tolkien classic, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, presents the final confrontation between the forces of good and evil fighting for control of the future of Middle-earth. Hobbits, Frodo, and Sam reach Mordor in their quest to destroy the One Ring, while Aragorn leads the forces of good against Sauron's evil army at the stone city of Minas Tirith.
2: The witness will address this court as judge or your honor.
0: Alright, welcome back. Your Honor, The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, is not a great example of a movie that's telling us a story about friendship and uh, adventure. Uh, Because ultimately, the sense of scale, the stories being set up are resolved in a very sloppy way. And uh, I think it cheapens the movie to a great deal. And it's uh, a failure on the storytelling part to have the leads of this movie uh, just happen to luck out and uh, be able to overcome the issues that are set up in this movie. And just considering that this movie is 3 hours and 20 minutes long, which is plenty of time to fully resolve any conflict that are set up, uh, this movie is not able to do this efficiently and uh, cohesively. Which is why I think this movie does not deserve to be this high on this list.
1: Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to hard disagree with about just about everything you said there. About I mean, you started with saying that the movie it uh, it doesn't it doesn't uh you know it's not a good film about friendship, but how can you say that when Sam carries Frodo up a mountain for their friendship? when he he says to him he looks at me and he says i can't carry it for you but i can carry you this guy will literally do anything for his friend and then you have that's just one friendship you have mary and pippin on the other end they're best friends they're kind of like the you your goofy friends you always know that a pair of people who are always kind of like maybe they might be stoners or something but these guys who are always kind of goofing off and then for the first time in the trilogy they get separated and you get to see them kind of like go off and do their own thing to finally be reunited at the end then you have the the, the kind of the, the trio of aragorn gimli and legolas and their friendship and you, know, you have the back and forth between Gimli and Legolas where Gimli's like, oh, this one, that still only counts as one. And, you know, they have that kind of com- competition. And right at the end when, you know, they, they realize they're probably about to die and Gimli, who at the start of the series in the first film, he he's so kind of prejudiced against elves and vice versa. You know, Legolas doesn't think anything of dwarves and they're about to die next to each other. And you've seen their, their friendship grow through these three movies. And at the end... He looks at him and he says, "I never thought I'd die fighting side by side with an elf." And he says, "What about side by side with a friend?" And he says, ah, yeah, I could do that." And that, that just touches your heart in just the way that, just oh my God, that's that's real, real deep friendship there that you've got to see build over this. And you know, this is a long movie. You've got a point there, but it needs that time to give the resolution, not just to this film and to the character arcs in this film, but of the whole three film trilogy like this is the culmination of an epic and it does have it needs that time to give you all these different character resolutions and I don't think there's anything neat or convenient I think it does take its time I'm glad that we are talking about the theatrical because I think I would have a harder time arguing for the extended edition because the extended edition is over four hours long and that is too long there is like a lot of stuff I, I do like the extended editions of uh, the first and second one better than um, the theatrical. They The first two, I think, are about three hours with the um, extended cuts, and that's about how long these movies all feel like they should be, like three hours long. So this hits it right at the mark. The stuff they add in the extended, it doesn't really add too much to the film. It's kind of just like nice filler. So you, But with that three hours, you do get everything there is a lot at the end where they are kind of like talking and you, you get all these different resolutions but you it's because you have built an emotional connection to all of these different characters you want to see what's going to happen to Sam and you want to see what happens to Frodo you want to see Aragorn finally become king because that's literally the title of the movie return of the king so you got to see him return to be king got to see him reunited with with uh, Eowyn um, sorry not Eowyn um, um, Arwen um, so all that stuff it matters so much And this is one thing that I will say, that this is the reason this film, even more than maybe the first two should be included on the IMDb list, is this film closes out a trilogy in a satisfying way. And I cannot think of really any other movies that close out a trilogy in such a satisfying fashion. There's other good third movies, don't get me wrong. But Indiana Jones 3, for example, isn't continuing the story of Indiana Jones 1. Those are separate movies. This movie is the conclusion, a grand conclusion to this story. This three-part story that this is part three. It's over and it's done now. It's really hard to do that when you you know you look at something like even something like Return Return of the Jedi, which is a pretty solid film. It doesn't live up. It's a big step down from Empire Strikes Back. it kind of has a cop out with Luke and Leia being brother and sister. That's how they resolve that love triangle, which is kind of creepy in retrospect. You know, of all Godfather three, that's kind of, that's a huge letdown. Third films or like trilo- endings of trilogies are really really difficult, and for this one to pull it off this masterfully, it deserves its spot on the list.
0: I think you touched on on an interesting point. This is uh, the third movie of a trilogy. But if we look at this movie separated from uh, film number one and two, uh, the flaws are really obvious. And I think uh, the time it takes to resolve all these character arcs that arguably start in, in the first movie, but if we just look at this movie, is just kind of lacking in a lot of points so Sam you mentioned Sam and Frodo uh, and Sam saying I cannot carry it with you Uh, I I cannot carry it for you but I can carry you he did carry the ring before we see it in this movie Uh, so I don't know how I feel about that uh, because he's kind of lying to his best friend Um, Mary Mary and Pippin they're separated kind of by stupidity I think Um, that's not Really, and like we see them first, um, kind of hanging out in Isengard, uh, happy and frolicking, and then one of them is giving into uh, to temptation, I think is kind of the motif here. Uh, how hobbits kind of give into temptation, and he pays for it, and uh, stupidly, he gives himself up to be a squire then. Um, so uh, I don't necessarily think that there's a good deal of friendship that's displayed here because because they're separated and it's kind of both go their ways and may die. And it's not like there was a big whoop de doo about them um, being separated at that point. Um, and then Legolas and Gimli, I think the, the counting that you mentioned is... Just very poor comic relief at that point. Uh, arguably, there may be some comic relief needed in this instance, but uh, it's childish at that point, and it's 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 kind of ridiculous that they do this in this grandiose battle. And uh, you mentioned cop-outs. I think there's a lot of lazy cop-outs in this movie. Uh, the whole resolution of this battle. That arguably is kind of being set up in three movies um, and seems to be a battle that is impossible to win, just happens to be uh, just happens to be won by a ghost army, um, which is a crazy cop-out in my opinion it's just and, and they don't even show that anymore it's just like a little bit of battle, and the ghost army comes in and it 's done. Uh, very lazy writing, in my opinion, and very lazy filmmaking. That the same goes for the for the time when Sauron gets destroyed, and uh, pretty much all of Mordor kind of gets sunken into the ground. And conveniently, our heroes are alive and well because everything around them breaks up. Uh, again, a very easy and uh, easy way to tell the story and to make our heroes uh, come out alive unscathed. And that's what I mean with this as being kind of a laser movie and it shouldn't be on this list. I
1: don't I don't know about that because I okay. I don't think that's a I don't think that those are cop outs because they are something that are previously established. So, you know, it it is established right from the beginning that if you destroy this ring like, they, they talk about that at the battle or at the uh, meeting um, in Rivendell with, uh, you know, Agent Smith, uh, you know, Elrond. He, he talks about how, yeah, like, if you destroy—all of Sauron's armies are reliant on this ring. If you destroy this ring, Sauron is destroyed forever. And, you know, so when that happens, it's a payoff from something two movies earlier. The army of the dead, you know, that is something that is— the first act of this movie that is kind of Aragorn and Gimli's and Legolas's goal is to go get this army. That's their whole, it doesn't come out of nowhere. They, they, cause they do spend a solid 30 minutes of the film about, um, going to make sure they can get these guys and get them. Um, that's also the, not the resolution of the whole movie. That's the resolution of the second act. So that battle scene, while it is important, it's not the, like Helm's deep was Helm's deep, in the end of the second film is kind of the culmination of all of that film that's what all this is building up to that's why that is such a like you know that battle when everyone's coming in and it does and it you know has a kind of more satisfying conclusion because that needs to be the end of the film whereas this is just needs to be the end of i think it's the second act where it's like okay. We have established this. We've brought in the army of the dead that we're building up. You do see, like, Theoden come in, and you have the resolution of Theoden's arc, and that all kind of gets resolved. And then, but the, but yeah, and we've defeated this army, but it's just a temporary victory. Sauron's armies are still out there, and we still do need to destroy this ring. And how are we going to do that? We're going to, you know, cause a distraction for them so that Frodo and Sam can get up the mountains.
0: I think you're. Bringing up an interesting fact that is also a critique of mine of this movie. It's just very fudgy timelines in this. Um, There was a moment where... Where Gandalf rides from Rohan to uh, Minas Tirith. And uh, he said it's a three and a half day ride. And then uh, we see the beacon lit. And that's like spanning 50 mountain ranges. At least that's what it feels like. No way on earth can you do that in three and a half days. And then... There's another fudgy thing with uh Frodo and Sam kinda going up the stairs and we hear that what's the son's name in the in the city? He's he said that he uh, saw them here? two days ago. Yeah. He saw them two days ago. Uh meanwhile they're they're already pretty pretty close up uh up in Mordor or they're very close to being there. So there's a lot of weird timeline stuff that happens here that just kinda doesn't end up and uh again it's very convenient it's like oh we have all these different things that are kind of in- related and and people see each other but it, it, you know we snap and it's done and and people can do this
1: i don't know i feel like you know i'm curious out there cuz I, I haven't mapped it out myself but i feel like you know there there are like these big like people map out these the lord of the rings and like the journeys that everybody had to go on and you know, how long th- certain things would take and, you know, riding over this terrain and stuff like that. So I'm I'm curious if there's any listeners out there who could, you know, because I don't have the exact, you know, I don't know what the dimensions of Middle Earth are, but, like that's the kind of the thing is like i I don't know like this could take however amount of time. I never that never even occurred to me that it was like, oh yeah, these guys are going too fast. It's not like Game of Thrones season seven where some people can seemingly teleport. I do actually get the feeling like you know they have been on a journey and that they are kind of cutting away. this movie does feel like while well, it's cutting quickly, it is taking you know characters are taking their time to get somewhere. You know, it's been two days but since he was there, but, like, they do establish that that place where they met Faramir was actually pretty close to Mordor, so it makes sense that they could get there in that time, especially if they have Gollum, who, like, knows all the different shortcuts and ways to kind of lead them up um, to the mountain and stuff like that, or to the Shelob's lair.
0: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think um, it, there is a quality of teleportation in this, uh, especially around Gandalf, uh, kind of going back and forth between locations very quickly. Uh, and sure, uh, you're a wizard, right? So you can do that, I guess. But uh, it, it just feels very convenient and, and easy and sloppy and that.
2: I'm, I'm going to interject here just a little bit to kind of sway the conversation in one direction. I think one of the, the conversations, I know you're currently talking about the timelines being distorted, but I want to go back to the original documentation about the the themes of friendship. Um, and I know that Derek mentioned quite a lot about, you know, this movie is about friends. Um, but I wanted to bring up a couple of points and maybe that can add to the conversation. Um, how do you feel about the themes of friendship and responsibility uh, going against each other? Uh, for example, when Aragon was going to go into uh, the, the rock uh, the between the mountains to meet the army of the dead, he almost abandoned his friends to uh, to take responsibility for that action. Um, another example was um, Sam and Frodo, who we have known to be friends since the first two since the first two films. Um, and the way uh, Frodo uh, abandoned Sam um, for Gollum at the at the drop of a hat, because you know uh, they couldn't find food. And uh, the very end of the film where Frodo abandoned his friends uh, when he decided to go to the land of the elves uh, and take the boat. And he never told anybody he was doing that. He just he just jumped on the boat and abandoned his friends. Uh, do you feel like the theme of friendship, which you gave an example of a few minutes ago, saying like, hey, uh, Sam carried Frodo to the very end. Do you think that is a, still a strong argument if you have to juxtapose that against the theme of responsibility that each of the characters have to go through.
1: Yeah, because we'll, I'll, I'll go through all the things you mentioned, I think, um, because I think, like, for example, you said, uh, the first thing you said was that Aragorn is abandoning his friends to go into the the mountains. I don't think that's abandoning. I think he cares about his friends, and he says, this is my responsibility, my own, and I'm not going to put my friends' lives in danger, so I'm not going to put that pressure on them. And then they, of course, come back with, like, saying you know hey you know what we're coming with you whether you like it or not and he's like all right well let's go you know and he does take them along with him even though he's like you know what? i want to protect my friends but they're going to be here by my side um even though this is my responsibility they are my friends and i'm taking them with me so he wanted to watch out for them at first but then he's like you know what let's go um and you, you know, talked about Frodo abandoning Sam. Yeah, that is an example of him being a bad friend. That is something he is being corrupted by the ring. The ring is taking this friendship that Frodo and Sam had and distorting it. And Sam's not feeling those effects really, but Frodo definitely is. And that's why, you know, he, at the, there is, you know, that is a low point in their friendship. But then when you get back to it and he starts carrying him the mountain, it's the catharsis for that. It is kind of the... Resolution. It's like, he wasn't, he's like, hey, look, kind of Sam kind of, Frodo kind of looks at Sam. He's like, yeah, I was a bad friend. And um, Sam's like, you know what? I don't care that you were a bad friend before. I'm still here for you. No matter what, because there's times when, you know, your friends do you, you, do you dirty. They do you wrong. But your friend, the, your real friends are going to forgive you for that, just like uh, Sam does for Frodo. And when Frodo leaves at the end, it's not him abandoning his friends it's just that he is, he has been living with this, like, pain, this, he's been, you know, dying, like, just like he can't live with this inside, so he's got to kind of just move on, and sometimes your friends got to move on, and they got to go somewhere else in life and leave you behind and, and move on to whatever else they got going. Like, I remember when me and my best friend were living together for a while, and, you know, he got engaged, and he, he moved out, and he was not abandoning me. He was going to go live with his life and move on to this better part of his life, so that he could be his best self. And we, you know, we hugged and we cried and stuff, and we had a great time together on our, our last night. And I and he left, and, and he's doing great still. And you know, that's what Frodo was doing. He was moving on to his best self. He had you had to, sometimes in life, it's sad, but you kind of gotta say goodbye to your friends because life just pushes you in different directions for whatever reason. Um, but that doesn't mean that your friendship is any less real.
0: I think the... So Sam and Frodo, I think the main takeaway from that is uh, corruption and how the ring is just kind of affecting people. Uh, I give the movie that. I still think that um, that whole sentence of I carried you, like I cannot carry the ring, but I can carry you is kind of cheap. But at the end, like Raji said, Frodo still kind of abandons their friendship and just kind of... Moves on to greener pastures, <laughs> which is kind of an interesting, uh, culminate like conclusion to that friendship, I guess. Aragorn, that that whole scene with him going into the mountains to get the pirate army or the the ghost army, again, I f- I feel like it's very sloppy. In that that, uh, the resolve was was clear to him when right? he was the the king of Gondor. He had the the sword, so he knew they were bound to him and they, they needed to help him, calling the favor. So there was no real stakes there. And uh, Gimli and uh, Legolas following him into the mountains uh, was just a convenient way to to do an exposition dump, with, with which is something this movie does a lot. Uh, you always have somebody pandering about, oh, the Ghost Army is doing this and, and doing that, or the Nazgul, um, You know these are the Nazgul, and they do evil things. And it's all just exposition dump and you know, telling us um about the evils of this and not really showing us. And I think this movie does that a lot and it's it's sloppy. Again, it's very sloppy. Kind of the cop out.
1: See the thing though when he goes to that, you know, you're like, yeah, like you know, like okay, like as a movie, you're like, you know that he is going to go and get this ghost army and that's the way it's gonna go. But they do manage to build some tension into that. They do say, you know, oh, you would go to them. They are tra- traitors. They are liars. They are murderers. So you know that these, this ghost army, while Aragorn is, you know, their only way out, they are traitors. They might, they have betrayed a king of Con- Gondor before. They have, when they were summoned to fight before, they have just gone back on their word. So you don't know that they are going to keep their word this time. They might go back on it again because these are on trustworthy people. These are untrustworthy ghost armies. So while it is in their best interest, you know, you can assume to work for them and that you want to strike a deal. You don't know. This is an evil ghost King. He might have his ulterior motives or something else. So it does kind of build that tension. Um, With the exposition dumps, you know, I think that, you know, there is a lot of exposition in this, but I really don't mind it. Um, I think that it is the way it's doled out is kind of, it feels epic and interesting. And it's like you're hearing this interesting history of the world like this this you know lore that i am really kind of interested in it's very cool it's like when you hear about all these different you know battles and kings and the history of all these different armies it is something that you're invested in and i think they cut out they there's a lot more that in the extended edition they cut it down to just kind of like what the the essentials that you need to know in this so you know when they are doing out this information i'm never bored i'm always like Oh that's cool that's interesting and you know like what's this guy doing now so it does exposition in a kind of effective way i feel
0: Alright i've one last point to make um and then that that concludes my arguments Uh let's talk visual effects in this Uh granted this movie is 18 years old now um or like when they filmed it probably tw- like 20 years ago um but oh boy does stuff here look bad, um, especially when it comes around uh, trying to sell the Hobbits and uh, the scale of the Hobbits in relation to other characters that are on screen. Uh, a, a lot of very funky uh, stuff happens when, when you look at that. When you have uh, one of them kneeling in front of a wall uh, and the arms cross in front of him and uh, the arms look freakishly large uh, because this character's kneeling and arms are out of scale for that um when you have weird composite shots when you have obviously kids standing in and uh, moving like not like old people but like kids and it's so um sloppy again like i feel this movie is just very sloppy <laughs> uh, and on so many fronts which is why i don't think it's should not be on this list
1: Alright, well, respectfully, I I could not disagree more with everything you just said, because uh, this movie, for me, from a special effects standpoint, is incredible. Like, especially when you compare it to something else that came in at the same time. Watch The Mummy Returns. Holy... Like, that movie... It's it's like even it's like your my your eyes are melting because it's so bad because this came in the time when CG was just kind of starting to be like this is a tool that we can use you know you'd had your Jurassic Parks and your Titanic's so it was a tool that you could use to like elevate something but it wasn't like so many films are today where that was the only tool so they did use a lot of those practical effects where you know they have body doubles and stuff like that and there's every once in a while give you a time when you're like that looks a little bit wonky but most of the time you're like this looks pretty solid and it it kind of came out in that like i call it the golden age of cg not because it's the best cg because cg is obviously better now but because they would only use cg to buffer up the practical effects or when they couldn't use practical effects. Like they made all these, the sets they, they made, they call them bigatures, when they would make a whole, just like one quarter scale of Minas Tirith and they would just show that getting destroyed, like run water over it or whatever. They, it looks incredible. And then they'll put CG stuff in it to kind of like make it look like little people or whatever it might be to make it kind of look more real. Compare that to, for example, The Hobbits. Which, you know, obviously it's the same people who made it. It's a lot of, you know, it's the same stories that it's based on. Those movies look worse than this, despite those movies coming out 10, 12 years later. And if you look at, like, for example, the orcs, the orcs in um, The Hobbit, they're all CG. They're all motion captured they're all, you know, basically what they reserved for Gollum, pretty much the only character who by the way, like you can not how can you say this movie is, you know, bad special effects when it had Gollum and it one of the ground, most groundbreaking special effects of all time to something that's still being, you know, they still use mocap based on like what they did with Gollum to this day, but they use that for everyone in the Hobbit trilogy. Like every I think you
0: yeah, sorry. sorry. I think you I think you'll see a lot of um... A lot of the wonkiness and the kind of uncanny valley uh, central uh, stuff is around uh, the stuff that's real. Like a lot of the orc masks they did, uh, the the Gollum transition from Schmeagol to, to Gollum. Like there, there was a lot of instances where it was like...
1: Oh, oh that, man, golem, I don't know. That, that looks
0: pretty rough. I don't know. The, the Gollum
1: that... I felt like the Gollum that you see... Or not the golem, but the like, orcs you see... Like in this looks so much better than the orcs you see in the Hobbit because they are like real. They're you know they have the makeup and that it takes them like twelve hours to put on. That you know that guy Gothmoc who's the guy with all the you know big deformities and stuff on his face. That looks incredible. It looks so much better than like a CG thing would look. And I think that the practical blended with the CG in this does such a good job. And, you know, you see Gollum's transition from like a real, you know, person, you have real, and a circus and you kind of get the makeup. And then by the end of it, you know, like you see him as the Gollum and, you know, I think that transition is done actually pretty solidly.
0: Uh, like I said, I felt it was very wonky. And my main complaint is mostly around the hobbits and kind of how they fit into the real world and the real size human characters in relation to them. There's a lot of weird stuff that happens and it just looks very odd it has not aged well i don't think and it, it took me out of the movie for that reason it's like oh okay oh, they really tried to make it work with kids or with kneeling people i
1: feel like it's aged so much better than anything else at the time you know like you you like i said you know watch watch a mummy returns and the rock in that movie the cg rock or like the cg armies that they have you know it just it really does not hold up well to the eye whereas this movie because you you get that blend i think it does you're never some, sometimes you're like okay i think that's cg but you know you, you i think that's practical but you're never quite sure 100% of the time you know what is and what isn't whereas now like if you're watching a big marvel movie you're like you can be like okay yeah this is all cg like this is this is what this is whereas that you get like you know these grand scale models that, you know, they just don't make movies like this anymore, and it really is a shame.
0: Well, I think you you kind of cherry-pick your bad movies that have bad CG. You also brought up two movies that are, uh, from this time, that are a lot more successful in, in terms of CG. Uh, Titanic and Jurassic Park, and... It's not as obvious, and they really aged well. Oh, man, I don't know. Like,
1: I think Titanic does... I think those both movies both do a lot of similar things. Um, t- Jurassic Park is a lot less CG and a lot more practical. Um, but, like, Titanic, you know, while well, I think that generally holds up... Remember that propeller scene? That looked bad in... That CG propeller scene where the guy falls and, like, hits the propeller? That does, that holds up worse than anything in this film, as far as I'm concerned.
0: It's a rift upon in this movie, by the way.
1: <laughs> what part? <laughs>
0: And the, the propeller scene, like when somebody yeah, yeah what Yeah, like what, where is it? And Minas Tirith, I think. Okay. That you, you can see somebody tumbling down and then do the same thing. Anywho, uh, that, that's all my arguments I have.
1: Yeah, no, I guess, um, yeah, that's, that's about it for me, other than I will just say, you know, like, this film, it's just such a display of, you know, prolific writing, um, great actors all the way, we haven't even touched on how incredible like Ian McKellen and um, just everyone else, all, all the actors in this do such a good job. It's really a labor of love from everyone involved. It's incredible that New Line Cinema was like, yeah, you can shoot these three movies back to back to back. And it really changed movies kind of the way we watch them today. So it, If anything else, it should be on the list just because of the impact that it made. It's like now everything needs to be kind of a trilogy. Um, Everything needs to kind of have like a story over more than one movie. For better or for worse, it has like impacted the film industry. And, you know, I do like a a series that ends, you know, so many things nowadays don't end. And this is like, hey, this is a solid ending to a film franchise, you know, even like stuff like The Dark Knight Rises gets picked apart. Because it's hard, like I said before, and I'll just reiterate it again, it's hard to end film franchises because endings are tough, and this does that in spades.
0: Well, endings are tough, but we'll end this uh,
1: <laughs> session right <Yeah>. now. <laughs> Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess.
0: All right. Let's 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 talk about this movie kind of outside of the scope of a uh, discussion. Just going to yeah, talk yeah. about it. Mm.
2: Yeah, well, I, I think it was interesting to hear everybody's uh, uh, conversations about this film. Um, but there's one thing that uh, that kept coming up, you know, endings are, th- are tough. But this movie ending was uh, long and never ending. I, 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 I'm i surprised it didn't come up in the conversation. This movie frustrated me because I, I the movie could have ended at any point. It could have ended where Aragon said... Nobody kneels to you, and he, you know, he says, he says, like when the when um, you kneel to no one, when Frodo and his friends were about to kneel, um, and the movie could have ended there, and it would have been a great shot, great stop to point to end. Then we get to see them go back home. We get to see them get married. We get to see them live in the house. We get to see Frodo leave, and I I felt like it was a little bit indulgent from the director to have a lot of those ending scenes. Like um, I feel like given the success of the two films, the studio was like, well, you can do whatever the hell you want. And I think that was the beginning of all the problems you were going to have with the Hobbit, because at that point, Peter Jackson had too much power and he could do no wrong. And we got the Hobbit after that. I feel like the endings were overindulgent and, uh, I feel like they could have ended it at a at a it could have been a little bit more concise.
1: No, and then you know that we're out of the the argument here. I, I you do have a point um the endings do go on a while um i mean i like it personally um i don't know how effective they are as like a, just a film for general audiences but i'm kind of the person who's just like if i'm liking something and it's like we're going to give you some more i'm like yeah cool i do want to kind of know like what happened to everybody you know i'm the person who will go home and like wikipedia like well i didn't get an ending for legolas and gimley what happened to them you know so i'm i it does indulge me in that kind of aspect um i feel like i do like some longer movies More than others uh, It's not as bad As something like I think like Did you guys see The Snyder Cut of Justice League Like the way they just <laughs> the There was like More in There were that The endings in that one That was like Okay I get it There's another ending Okay now they're Like now the Joker's here Cool Now he's talking to The Green Lantern Or like whatever Or the Martian Manhunter It's just like Oh, okay, that felt exhausting in a way that this didn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because um, I was just um, in really invested in all these storylines, um, but I can see why people think it's a little bit long, and that was actually going to be one of my arguments if I had to argue against it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I, think, I, I think that
2: uh, your point about how this movie influenced other films, To, uh, I think that was one of the influences it had. I, I, let me be clear. Uh, I think this movie is amazing. It's an incredible masterpiece given, especially given the context that this is the third of three films. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Peter Jackson deserves a lot of credit for sticking the landing for the most part. I think that a lot of the arguments um, uh, you guys made were very, very good about, you know, some of the strengths and some of the weaknesses of the films. But I, I, I don't think the movie is perfect either. I think that, you know, one of the uh one of the things that I did not like was uh, you know, the king, the guy who was right what's the name of the character who rides the uh the horse, uh, the flying horse. The, no. The one that, you know, screamed while uh Frodo was close to the entrance of Mordor that said that it feels like it's stabbing me. Uh, while oh the witch king I think it was, think about the witch king yeah, yeah. yes the witch king, I feel like that character was undercooked significantly because in a sense you know um, what's his name uh, Gandalf kept talking about him in such blazing terms like this guy um, what's his name <laughs> I'm not very good with names as you can tell um, Sauron has not has not unleashed his greatest weapon uh, the witch king. And he can take on anything. And uh, we see in so many instances that he can't take on light. He can't take on, uh, you know, the the situa- the, the scene where uh, Gandalf was galloping towards them and had his uh, wand with the bright light and all of them ran away. Um, he can't handle uh, anybody who is not male. Uh, Hashtag girl <laughs> power. Know, it, yeah he's so is so given all the hype i feel like um we didn't get a lot from his character too I just feel like that was a bit undercooked but I will say that there are some themes in the film that don't seem very um don't seem very they don't seem very obvious like the scene where frodo was trying to kill um gollum and had his uh hand on his throat and he never got uh, got to do it and if you juxtapose that against the very beginning of the film where he killed his cousin for the ring you kind of know where the breaking point is for anybody who has the ring
0: yeah I I think you bring up a good point with with that scene with how it's mirrored and how the, the music is mirrored there too you have that heartbeat kind of pumping and getting faster and faster and faster but Frodo is able to resist
1: yeah well then that it calls back to like the you know the that scene that frodo has with gandalf in the first one when he says something about like oh it's a pity that bilbo didn't kill him because it does you know kind of like bilbo had a chance to kill him with that same sword you know back in the hobbit days and and gandalf says like it's pity that you know it stayed uh, on his hand that like and he's like by the end of this there will be you know uh something that like in the end like he will have a big part to play, whether for good or evil. And you see at the end, because Frodo and Bilbo spared his life, he ends up being the one who like falls over and destroys the ring. Like if he doesn't destroy the ring, then Frodo keeps the ring and Sauron gets it and lo- and they lose. So because he bites off his finger, it falls over the cliff and m- melts with the ring. You know, it's actually, you know, Frodo and Bilbo's pity not murdering him. That the fact that they were able to not give him t- wholly into this temptation, like Smeagol did, shows that you know kind of like pity and redemption are can be things that like even if it seems bad at the time have these ripples that just you can't even possibly imagine. So
2: yeah, I totally I I can I agree. Uh I think that you bringing up that point is quite interesting. Uh I think that I never thought about that particular aspect from that perspective. Um so it's it's, it's interesting that even in even in that criticism that I have Peter Jackson was able to give us a solution. Uh, the fact that because he didn't kill him, he was the one who eventually gets the ring down and he dies with what he loves. Um, I mean, I guess it's a testament to how perfectly crafted the film was. I mean, except from the very end, which took forever, the movie was just um, both entertaining um, and quite interesting to watch. I think the thing that fascinates me also is it's difficult to unsee the extended version when you see <laughs> this version. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um I, I was... To- because I watched it with my wife. Uh, we So my wife is a big fan of The Lord of the Rings. Um, and we got to watch... Um, we watched the extended versions a few months ago. Uh, and we got to watch this version again. Um, and it was very interesting because I kept going through scenes going like the beginning of the film when they would gallop into uh Sauron's uh, lair after the hobbits were drinking and eating the food and you know celebrating uh the downfall it was a funny scene to watch but a lot of the uh context for uh, where the palantir came from you know you know Sauron it, it came from uh, the water and the conversation they had with Sauron um, all of that was removed, and I kept watching the film, going, "Oh man, something is missing." <laughs> <laughs> it's like I feel like right? I'm, I I miss something here. Yeah, um, you're
1: watching. You're like, where like there, where's all the scenes? Like it just feels incomplete, you know. But it's yeah, yeah like, I know exactly what you mean because I had the same experience because I've watched the extended so many times, and it's like, oh yeah, there's the army of the dead doesn't chase them out, you know. Like you know, there's not that se- whole there's like whole big chunks that are like there's an hour, you know, that's just missing that I feel like should be there, Yeah. You know,
0: yeah, but, but 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 that's kind of what I meant with like it's very convenient in this cut because it's like he he shows up they have an exposition about the army of the dead he shows the sword and then they show up and save the day. Uh, so so like
1: it's Yeah, you don't get as much exposition around the army of the dead in this this cut. Yeah, it's sure. it's
0: convenient, right? And it's just kind of like I said that that big battle that this set up is just kind of resolved uh off-screen for the most part.
2: I I totally agree with you on on that army of the dead. I think it's one of the uh, weakest parts of the film. Um, And I don't think, I think it's too convenient. Uh, Like you said, it's too convenient how everything, he just goes in, hey, I have the sword now. You guys got to listen. If you want to die, really die, you know, and uh, next thing you know, they just come and they just get rid of the whole um, army coming in from that side of the, from the coast. Um, and you know, it was, it was it was it was yeah. It's definitely a weak
1: point. One thing I was surprised you didn't with the, the convenience thing. Like one thing that I feel like is convenient. I know it's explained in the books, and people are gonna yell at us, whatever. The Eagles, you know, like like I was really surprised you didn't mention that when you're talking about convenience and laziness. Because I felt like I disagree with you with a lot of this stuff, but with the Eagles, I I can like totally see that point. You know, so that's was like okay. I was like I don't know if I have a rebuttal for that one, but you never brought it up, so I was like <laughs> all right, I'm safe here.
2: Yeah, they said that the eagles moved away from the lands of the humans because they were shooting them down. But somehow Mm -hmm. they, if they appeared at Mordor in the land of orcs to save Frodo, it seems very very weird.
1: Yeah, that kind of that kind of you know, I I know it's explained and stuff in the appendices and everything, but in the context of the movie, they just like show up, and that's they just like they're like, how are they this close to Mordor? That's teleportation. But and I do think like overall, like this is my least favorite of the lord of the Rings. I, I still love this movie it's still like in a masterpiece to me but i think the first two edge it out you know i think the first two are like some of the best films ever and this one is like a like a. it's still i would say you know even aside from the being on the podcast does deserve to be on the top 250 but not as high as number one and two. i think like just objectively or no, subjectively um you know uh, if i'm not on you know not on trial anymore if this is off the record
2: yeah no it's off the record i i i <laughs> I totally agree with you. I think I, I used to think that The Lord of the Rings 3 was my favorite. Um, but like I said, I watched the extended version with my wife and I found that the first one, which I didn't like as much previously, I gained a lot more respect for that film. Mm -hmm. uh the second one is still my favorite but if i had to go with respect to ratings i'll say it's the second one then the first one then the third one because the third one they used a lot of things that they used in the second one in the third one like oh we're in a castle we're almost destroyed but there's more of it now um so it's almost like we had seen all of that before uh so it didn't feel as uh crazy to me um but the first one, the, the, the cra- Helm's Deep was just one crazy battle. Uh. That is, yeah, that, the
1: Helm's Deep sequence is literally one of the greatest film sequences ever made. Like, it's incredible. Like, you could just study that, like, and on that on its own is better than most movies, just like the Absolutely. Helm's Deep part.
0: It's like, I'm, I'm going to have fandoms collide now, but it's kind of like Star Wars where Empire is the best and then... It yeah, exactly.
1: That's why I mentioned, you know, Return of the Jedi, you know, it's just, it, it couldn't live up to, because Empire is so good, and then Return of the Jedi is like, that was, was another Death Star, and it's even bigger, and it's just like, okay.
0: <laughs> I mean, same here, right? Yeah. There's another army, and it's even better, you know, so yeah, it's like, yeah.
2: Um, I, I'm surprised that the Return of the King is also very, is much higher than the other two uh, on this list. I, I, see, this is the thing that is always confusing me about this IMD-250 um, I don't understand, you know, how Shawshank Redemption is number one.
1: Yeah. It, Shawshank uh, is good, but it's the number one movie of all time? Like, I, I, come on, get out I, of here. Get the exactly. fuck out of here. I,
2: I think that uh, The Lord of the Rings should be higher than Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, The Godfather 2 should be higher than Shawshank Redemption. The Lord of the Rings 2 should be higher than Shawshank Redemption. So it's very, it's very interesting who are the people who are judging these films and putting them up. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess it's the general population, and it says a lot that Shawshank Redemption is number one, because there's a religious aspect to it, and you all know that America is somewhat of a religious country. Uh, yeah. So uh, I don't know. It, I, I, it's quite interesting, though.
1: Yeah, and I, I I think I get why it's number. This one is the highest of the three Lord of the Rings because you know I think of all this stuff I was saying about like it and it manages to end it well, and I think people are like satisfied like be like okay like when you get a conclusion you're like that made me feel good like there is this catharsis with an ending where it's like you know with the one and two ending on the cliffhangers i can see why people are like okay but i need more this is like okay good you're, you're not expecting anymore um i think it's also why I- Endgame, Like, Endgame, I don't think, is the best Marvel movie, but I think that it's the fact that it wraps up all these movies in such an effective manner is insane. Like, all these different film franchises and the Avengers and Thor and Captain America and Iron Man all get these satisfying conclusions. I think that's nuts, and that's why that movie, while it might not be as tight as, like, an Infinity War, like, it does have a it does kind of get more points and is higher up on a lot of people's lists probably including mine because it does all these things and i think it's the same case with lord of the rings return of the king
2: yeah
0: yeah um both of you mentioned that earlier that that it kind of set up the movie industry for splitting up movies into a lot and i felt like uh, peter jackson fell into his own trap there with the hobbits um That was a big mistake to to break that up into three movies.
1: Well, he he wanted to do it as two films, and he shot it as two films. But then Warner Brothers was like, "Hey, you know what would make us more money is if it was three films." And I think you can really feel that, especially like in the second and third, how there was just like, like these should those should not have been two movies. Like I think if somebody cut it down to like two or one film, like if some editor out there, like I'm sure this exists, um, you know. But, like, I think it would be a much tighter, much more... Like, because all that stuff at the end of the second one where they were, like, running from the gold and, like, they're, it's like becomes, like, a zany madcap thing where they're, they're, they're like, ah, get away from smog And it's just, like, that is all borderline unwatchable to me. And so I, I think it's, you know yeah studios just being like how can we make as much money like you see pirates two and three they're like okay we're gonna retroactively make the pirates of the caribbean movies a trilogy so you have two and three which are just basically one long movie but they're like just kidding we just want to make more movies so that it's like weird because it's like one and then two and three together and then four and then five so it's like that whole series just seems so weird because like of the knee-jerk reaction to this kind of film um so i don't know yeah it's 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 we don't get a lot of standalone movies anymore like it's a lot of standalone or I shouldn't say we get a lot of, don't get a lot of like big budget standalone sequels where it's just like yeah this is the other than maybe like you know i guess probably like the the last one i can think of is star trek beyond because i was talking about that recently on my podcast and how that one just kind of like does stand on its own it doesn't try to continue from like uh, into darkness or the first star trek it's just like this is its own story now everything kind of needs to be all one continuing story so i think it's that Lord of the Rings and the MCU just kind of like everything needs to tie together which I appreciate, but it doesn't need to be every movie.
0: Yeah, and I think we had this trend of movies that uh, split the finale in two, like Harry Potter mm-hmm. did it um, Yeah and the, and There's a couple movies the, that, that The Hunger Games the hun- oh, oh, all,
1: the, all the ones that based on teen books Harry Potter, yeah. Hunger Games Yeah, it's like,
0: milk it milk it, milk it, milk it, it even further and I think mm-hmm. that's kind of the influence that uh, this had and I, yeah the hobbits i think there's like two big fan edit versions out there that you can download and, and right. watch um
2: I, I think you should uh i think peter jackson should reta- release the hobbit retracted edition
1: <laughs> uh. <laughs> right yeah enough with the extended cuts retracted cuts that's the new trend <laughs>
2: um i i couldn't i think that you mentioned uh, the hobbit while you were having the discussion about the movies and you mentioned that uh, the CGI in The Hobbit were horrible. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that that is one of the reasons why the movie doesn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. Because the original trilogy, you, the makeup, I know, I know that the makeup and all of that stuff caused, was a production nightmare. You had to sit down for hours every day doing all of that. Um, but then you have the total extreme where the movie doesn't feel based in reality. The characters feel like they're floating um, on the scene and they don't feel like they're in place. And uh, you don't get a very, very... Um, uh, it doesn't feel like it's based in reality. I mean, what it's a fantasy film, of course, but it doesn't feel grounded. It doesn't feel grounded like the Lord of the Rings felt grounded. Um, and I think that they took a lot of things. But this is not a, the Hobbit uh, criticism. Um, I, didn't, I never finished the trilogy. I only watched the first two and I was like, I think I'm done.
1: Watch just like the first ten minutes of the third film, right? Because the beginning of that is like what should have been the end of the second film, and then it's weird because like you have the it's like almost like a prologue, but it's just the ending for the for the second one. And then as soon as like they kill Smog and he attacks the city, and then it's just like the title of the movie comes up, and you're like, okay, whatever. That's that's all you need. Just watch until the the desolation of Smog appears on the screen. That's all you need. All
2: right. I I I probably I my wife my wife watches a lot of this uh fantasy films um but I will say that just as the lord of the rings echoed uh, brought in a, a a film that can a, a series that ends the marvel the marvel series is uh is a is an octopus that never ends now and <laughs> yeah. and I think that uh it's quite interesting to see the influence of the lord of the rings on the marvel series because mm-hmm. They had cliffhangers on every single film except the last one. Um, and they're basically doing the same thing with the Marvel films now. So uh The Lord of the Rings definitely had a big influence on the structure of some of these films. Yeah, I think the
0: the 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 fault in, in air quotes uh, of the MCU is just oversaturation at this point. It's just too much of the same, in my
1: opinion. Yeah. And that's why I was kind of like, it was nice last year when there wasn't really any MCU stuff. Because as much as I'm like a Marvel shill, like, and I love all that stuff, I'm like, okay, it's good to have a little break. Like, where I'm not having to think about, like, oh my god, what's going to happen in Black Widow and how is that going to affect, like, Captain Falcon or Captain America and the Winter Soldier and all this, like, it's just, like, nice to be like, okay, we can take a breather, you know. (laughs) Yeah, definitely.
0: The the thing that seemingly the MCU did set up is the whole end credit scene thing. And I might be wrong,
1: so but that's that's. I mean it was around before but it was like usually it would just kind of be like a little joke or something it wasn't like as prevalent as it is now like now that's like a thing and you know like you know before it was like oh Ferris Bueller just tells you to go home and now it's just like oh man stick around to the end credits because this character is going to show up and it's going to have implications for this movie you know so I think that's just genius on Kevin Feige's part
2: definitely Um, right. well I'm not entirely sure I have much more to say about the Lord of the Rings um, when, I probably when, have too uh, much more,
1: so I, I need to stop <laughs> at some point. Uh,
2: it will be interesting to see when we get to the first Marvel films, and maybe we can have the rant about Marvel films. Um, is there
0: any but like it,
2: on the list? I'm not entirely sure. I think that the next film on the what's the next film on the list? Is it the Quentin Tarantino film? Yes, Pulp Fiction.
1: Ah, oh, man, I love that film. Uh, I hope I a didn't. good one. i prefer <laughs> Reservoir for dogs, but that's a still a solid movie.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm a big Quentin Tarantino fan. Much yeah. to anyway, we'll we'll see how it uh, we'll see how that goes.
0: Yeah, no Marvel film in the top fifty, so we'll be spared
1: from Marvel. It, there's got to be one. one. There's got to be one in the top two fifty though at some point. Yeah, eventually.
2: I would think, yeah, but um, but it's surprising that we got a DC film, and I think that the DC, the Dark Knight. movie... Oh, I was uh, like,
1: I was thinking like a DC, like like what the current DC films so was like. What? And I was like, oh, the Dark Knight. That makes sense. Every film bro loves the Dark Knight.
2: Yeah, but I think mostly it's because of Heath Ledger. I mean, we've had this discussion, right? Yep. Um, Heath Ledger is the reason why that movie is even in the top uh, top ten. Uh, because if you remove Heath Ledger from the film. The movie doesn't; not not as strong. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's a totally different topic too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Hot take.
1: And, I like Batman Begins actually the best of no one's Batman films. I know it's, <laughs> I, that's an unpopular opinion, but I love Batman Begins.
2: I think that uh, previously it was The Dark Knight for me, but after watching it again, uh, the the Batman Begins is what... I think that's the most coherent of all his stories. And I think mm-hmm. it's the one that gives Batman the strongest show in every other yeah. one yeah. Batman is a side character in the film. Yeah. Cool. Well, Derek, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. This has been really fun.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. It's good. Where can people find you? Let's start there. So
1: yeah, You get, uh, you can find me, you know, like I'd mentioned at the top, I've got the podcast underrated. Um, so you can find that where, however you're listening to this podcast, it'll be there. Cause we're on all the podcasting, um, apps and we're also on YouTube. Um, you can also follow us. Um, the, me and my friends are the undercast company so follow us on Instagram or Facebook undercast company undercast co at Twitter or if you just want to follow me and you know more of my film writing and stuff like that um, just follow you can check me out on medium or um, on Instagram at uh, Derek's photos with a underscore between Derek and photos. So yeah,
2: cool. Raji, where can people find us? You can find us um, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook on at Mistrial, And you can either, and also send us emails um, at MovieMistrial at gmail.com, as well as...
0: Uh, Contact at MovieMistrial.com.
2: All right. Cool. Thanks. Uh,
0: Thank you. Until next time, for Pulp Fiction.